Welcome to Real Herbalism Radio, show 255, recorded at Big Dog Studios in Eugene, Oregon. Today's show is made possible by Sacred Blossom Farm, artisan teas grown and blended to support health and taste delicious. Get yours at sacredblossomfarm.com. Now, here are your hosts. I'm Candace Hunter. I'm Patrick Hunter. And, and welcome, welcome to, to Real Herbalism, Herbalism Radio. Radio. Oh, Bet's a whirlwind of, uh, of, <laughs> of, of free thought and free thinking, isn't she? She is. You know, it's interesting how she, I think, embodies the psychedelic mushroom movement in so many ways. I've been watching the news and what's been happening with how things like we, we illegalized it here in Oregon for therapeutic use. Mm -hmm. And it seems like one thing after another, it's not just us. I mean, we, we legalized it and there's like supposedly going to be maybe a retreat center that's going to be doing psychedelic mushroom retreats here. Yeah, they do. Um, they do ketamine retreats here. I know. I was I'm like, like what? Oh, that um, sounds a little scary. It's like got a murder mystery show or right? something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the guy that that does these um, psilocybin retreats does them in Jamaica right now. Yeah, and he's looking forward to being able to bring them home. Yeah, um, which is you know, cool too because. They grow here. Yeah, I know. <laughs> they grow. In fact, I saw some pictures of them. Um, some of the local. And um, I was like, hey, I've seen those in the woods. <laughs> oh, yeah. We've seen them frequently. In fact, there, there's one that I'm like, there's this one particular mushroom that calls to me to every time I'm in the woods. And I think of it as being a little bit on the edge of an LBM. So I don't, you know, investigate. LBM's a little brown mushroom for people that don't know. Yeah. There's a lot of them and they're hard to identify. There's yeah. so many species and some are really poisonous and some are not. Besides, they don't really stir up fry good anyway, like a chanterelle, so we just don't get those. Right, right. But, you know, I, I and that it's the same one every time I'm there. And I was looking at a um, mushroom growing uh, place that has like spores and stuff for for scientific study, of course. <laughs> and you the know. air quotes are up. Yeah, yeah it's not mycelium. <laughs> yeah. But it, they were showing, you know, the different mushrooms like oysters and different ones yeah. that, you know, you can spawn and psilocybins were amongst them. And I was like, hey, that's that little mushroom I see in the woods all the time that always calls. Yeah. No, I, I yeah, I, I didn't know that that's what it was because I, like I said, I, yeah, I've seen them too. Yeah. So I think the idea of having retreats, mushroom retreats, is a really interesting one. Um, I read an article in the Washington Post called Will, Will Psychedelic Mushroom Vacations Come to the U.S.? by Jen Rose Smith. Yeah. That was in early January. And I kind of was like, hey, that sounds like that, that could be kind of cool. You know, the idea of doing that sounded really interesting. Well, the way that the, the law has been, the law that we voted on approved. Yeah. The wording didn't really seem to, to match up to retreats. It was more along the lines of in, in a more of a clinical setting. Part of why I thought it was a potentially good or good law was that the definition of the clinical setting was purposefully left very ambiguous. And the way that, like in the, the Washington Post article, the, the person, the individual that they, um, who went on retreat and was talking about her, that they interviewed about her experience, the way that she talked about it, it sounded like it fit very much into the idea of therapy and clinical setting without having to feel like you're in a plastic fantastic hospital or something that, that, that distances you from nature. Although... What I've read about 
other retreat centers or the variety that are available now is that some are very, you know, in the woods, you know, making fire on the ground types of very, mm-hmm. you know, naturalistic. Right. And others are very much in a very clinical, spa-like retreat center type of thing where, yeah, you've got a lot of distance from nature, but this, the area, the the environment is very relaxing and like high-end European spa kind of thing. And so it, it hits a wide variety. But in all of them, they talk about things like integration and doing, you know, having a guide, essentially. Mm-hmm. The, the therapist or the doctor who's leading the retreats usually is essentially a guide right. to help you have framework while you're working with the mushrooms so that you don't end up being, having, you know, what the hippies of your hold used to call a bad trip. Yeah. Well, I mean, I have to, you know, I have to be honest with that too, is that I, that's the thing that holds me back from even trying these things is I just don't want to do that. The fear of a bad trip. The fear of that, especially, yeah. you know, yeah, I just don't want it. Well, I've seen, I've seen a lot of articles saying, you know, in exclamation points, don't self-medicate with psilocybin mushrooms. And, you know, the reality is that if you're dealing with any psychological issue, I'm going to put something like PTSD or addiction or trauma out there, but whatever it may be, you know, garden level depression, whatever, that psychological issue you've got is there because there's something very uncomfortable and unpleasant that is somewhere in your closet. And it's frightening to deal with that stuff and psychedelic mushrooms may very well bring that into the open. And I don't know how easy or hard it might be to face whatever it is that was causing that problem in the first place. You know? Right. I mean, there's a reason why you stuffed it back in that closet. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Um, I found it interesting that, all of the different articles. I mean, I, I've been reading, you know, a lot. It looks like like there's a new um, stock index that's being launched. Well, I don't. It, I don't. Well, yeah. I mean, I I was I, re, I read the same article, but I didn't realize it was a new market. I thought it was. Um, yeah. Well, no. Okay. So the Horizon Psychedelic Stock Index ETF or Psych P S Y K will begin trading on the NEO exchange next week. So I guess it would be a psychedelic stock index. Yeah. Yeah, and they that same company okay, did a cannabis I've, stock index. I've, I've got my uh, Robinhood account. Maybe I need to yeah, go and get some, uh, go go invest some money in some, some of these things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but I mean, I mean they're, we they're... Have, well, to sidetrack, we have friends that have done that. That oh, yeah. when, when the marijuana industry was, was just yeah. cranking, yeah. the Canadian stocks went through the roof. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah well i mean that that what that tells to me to me in mushroom speak is that's the indication of mycelium proliferating ground that's what that index tells you is that wow there's a lot of business that's going to be starting to grow up as a result of just this one door opening oh well yeah uh, you know the, the thing is that it's a when it becomes commercial, mm-hmm. that's when it starts to break the bigger boundaries. I mean, you think about yeah. um, where we were at three or four years ago uh, with 
you know, even Oregon legalizing it, which was the third or fourth state. Now I think there's 14 or 15 states. With that, cannabis you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, with cannabis. That have legalized cannabis, and there's even more. So it, it's, yeah. like we were talking before the show, it's not a matter of, of if, it's just a matter of when. It's when, yeah. You know, and in fact, I think, wasn't it Washington, D.C. that, that, that um, on one of our uh, news articles that we were researching has voted to legalize psilocybin? I think that, if I remember right, yeah. yeah. So, and there's in a, the nation's capital, yo. <laughs> yes, and Florida. I mean, Florida is one of the more conservative states. Yeah, but there's a lot of old but, people down there. <laughs> well, yeah, and one of the things that psilocybin mushrooms are being used for in a, in a therapeutic setting is for end-of-life care, you know, for helping people who are terminal right. get get have a better experience for the last bit that they've got here and be better prepared and ready to cross over. Yeah. You know, you know that's big. I think it is uh, interesting and exciting. These new realms of, of treatment for um, psychological issues like end of life and mm-hmm. those types of things. And I'm not you know sure if you've even, it's a matter of end of life or acceptance or end of life, because oftentimes when we're at end of life, you know, we're not, I'll just, you know, not necessarily, especially if you're in a hospice situation, you're not living out your best days. Right. right? Yeah. Um, but take that with um, the promising studies that they have with PTSD and yes. psilocybin, the studies of addiction recovery, uh, massive uh, addiction recovery. In fact, uh, there was one on 60 Minutes last year where they were talking about um, drug addiction and alcohol addiction and even smoking. Yeah, they were able to um, cost a session of each of these um, addictions in patients who, you know, who were having tried everything, everything else and, they nothing, were, and was nothing was working. working. And yeah. yet, after a few treatments, like the smoker, after a few treatments, he was done smoking. Yeah, and, and he, really done. Yeah, I mean, and really done. Really... Now I don't know what his trip was if he had a right. trip. Yeah, well, you know, but I know it was only yeah. microdosing. It wasn't like. Right. You know, they're giving um, a baggie some, full of mushrooms and go to town. Yeah, I was going to say, some of the therapies are higher doses, some are lower right. doses. I mean, I, I found it really fascinating that they're starting to recognize how powerful psychedelic mushrooms can be for dealing with depression and anxiety and of all levels. I mean, not even just the severe stuff, but, you know, the trauma that we just normal people, average people go through with the simple basics of life like making enough money to cover the bills and the taxes and keep a roof over your head and you know fighting with your kids about whatever the latest thing is they want or don't want you know all of that stuff can create such stress and essentially a trauma in the body to the point where you can end up with anxiety and depression resulting and you know obviously much worse things can happen. And I find it fascinating that the mushrooms can help people deal with all of that. Yeah, for sure. Um, It's encouraging. The other thing too that's that's really encouraging about it is that from all accounts, it doesn't seem like psilocybin has an addiction or addictive quality unto itself. No, you know, they say that cannabis is not addictive. And... Based on the many people I know who use cannabis, I would say that it is not as addictive as tobacco or alcohol might be, but definitely certain individuals seem to not do their work, as it were, 
and they find them. I, I notice that they keep coming back to the cannabis over and over and over instead of integrating their experiences in a way that allows them to live happily without it. So it seems to me like it becomes a bit of a crutch. Well, they're self-medicating, really. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, and people do it with alcohol. They do it with, yeah. you know, other drugs and they do it with marijuana, of course. And um, and the cannabis people that I know that have used it that way, they are easier to deal with than those who are addicted to alcohol or tobacco often because they tend to have a more laid back, relaxed attitude while, right. they're, while they're on the, their substance. <laughs> but it's still an addiction. In my mind. Yeah, I haven't ever heard mm-hmm. of an angry pothead. <laughs> Not really. No. Versus versus no. the angry drunk. No. You know. So And I mean there are people that use cannabis habitually, like for pain, for instance. Right. And I don't see that as an addiction. Yeah, they're using it habitually for pain. It's not causing damage to their major organ systems. It's not causing serious problems in the rest of their bodies. So it's a pain relief. And if they're using it for severe chronic pain, they're probably not in a position where there's going to be a cure for said severe chronic pain. That's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. So that's not really an addiction in my mind. But alcohol used for the same thing kind of is because it does damage to your major organs. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Over time, it definitely does. And I don't know what psilocybin mushrooms will or won't do. Well, there's, you know, like everything else, there's really not a lot of um, um, research done on it because it's a Schedule One yeah. drug. You know, it's yeah. right along cocaine and heroin. Right. Oh, you know, so yeah. it, you can't, there's only a few facilities, if any, that have done any medical research on it um, yeah. as far as those side effect issues that, that, you're, that you're talking about. Yeah. So it's hard to know. And until that becomes more prevalent and they start doing those studies, then we'll know. It's like, Again, once the door opened uh, for marijuana, yeah. research opened. Research finally and, opened. And people, yeah. there was more and more research coming about. So that was all. The other thing, part of that too, was the influx of CBD because of it. Yeah. You know, yeah. that was something that people knew about. It was there. There was there was a belief that high CBD stuff would help with seizures, you know, epilepsy, those things. But yeah. it wasn't really proven out necessarily. Right. Right. Well, they've got the research. Yeah. You know, because they could. Yeah. I mean, I still think that was funny that the only university in the in the country that could that could uh study marijuana was in Mississippi. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the bastion of of of, of academia. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you do wrong. If you Ole Miss is probably a good university, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> it just seemed weird to me. It is it was a instead of Berkeley, what? <laughs> yeah, right. Maybe they thought it would get a little out of hand at Berkeley. Maybe. I don't know. Would you like to deepen your connection with herbs? One way is to join the Herbal Nerd Society. As a member, you'll have influence on topics that we dive into the Practical Herbalist and here on Real Herbalism Radio, along with articles that are catered specifically to you, written every month. If you'd like to get more on herbs and know more about herbs, join the Herbal Nerd Society today by visiting HerbalNerdSociety.com. Maybe. <laughs> well, you know, the funny thing I think is that the only real government agencies that I have even read about are like the CIA when they were doing studies on uh, LSD, yeah. marijuana, and other things in the 60s and early 70s. 
yeah. uh, for a you know, more of a defense idea or war idea, you know, making people being able to be super soldiers and being able to handle um, events. Like yeah. you, if you're, if you're, their idea was if, if you're mellow and you're a combat soldier and you're mellow, you could easily get in, go into battle a lot easier than you could if you were right. the other way. So they were trying lots of different ways. They didn't go about it the best way, of course. They didn't mm. tell people they were doing it. They just did it. Yeah. You know, so yeah. there was a lot of crazy stuff that happened, and there's, and there's books about it. But right. But um, that's the only thing I can even think of it on a larger scale research on those types of um, drugs. Yeah. You know, LSD, yeah. psilocybin, the other ones. So. Yeah. I mean, it, it's something that's been studied somewhat. Psychedelics in general have been studied and have been used and written about but not necessarily always fully legally approached in our country, at least, or in the United States, at least, for few, quite a few decades. I mean, I know the 60s and 70s saw a lot of the earlier, I'm going to call them earlier writings on psychedelics, and, and a culture grew up around it. Mm-hmm. But that was much more, um, I don't know, and I'm... I don't know how to say it, a, a closeted away culture. You had to kind of have some special passwords to get into that group. <laughs> Whereas cannabis was always, you know, everybody knew that, you know, of the 10 neighbors you've got around you, at least six of them had some weed stash somewhere. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah, and, almost, and as you move, you know, more toward maybe the Bible built, maybe it was fewer, I don't know. Or maybe but, more. <laughs> uh, the thing is, that you're right. I, I think if you think about it, you were your socially acceptable drugs, yeah, alcohol, tobacco, you know, caffeine, socially acceptable. Everyone does it, yeah. And then, then you go down that next level, and I think you're right. It's marijuana. Cannabis has always been yeah, it's, in then that, that level. next level. It's it's it, ooh, you know, it's who yeah. they have it, but it's almost like trying to get into a speakeasy back in the day yeah. to get into where the psychedelics. You, you kind of needed to have the special knock. Yeah, you got to have a special knock or a special password to get into where the people that have it. Yeah. Know. Anyway, that was our experience. Now here in Oregon, they well, just go in the woods. Yeah, here in the or- <laughs> yeah, you just have to know which ones you're picking. You know exactly. So, what do you need a password for? Just go out there. Yeah, um, yeah. In the woods, by the woods, we mean like the city parks and everything. They're everywhere. Right. Like and I mean, yeah. our um, experience is massively different than someone that's maybe ten or fifteen years older than us. Right. Because yes. we grew up, of course, during the Nancy Reagan "Just Say No" era, where drugs yeah. the drugs bad in the drug war, and we've been experiencing the drug war for thirty years. Yeah, it's only yeah. now where they're realizing, okay, that was a failure. Yeah, and, that and, didn't and work. We out. need to we need to change that. But, that was expensive. But but you and I grew up <laughs> with that, and that's where we even come into like you know, oh boy, you know, this is your brain. This is your brain on drugs? Any questions? I mean, I still remember right. those commercials. Right? Oh my god, yes, the so, frying egg. <laughs> right. So so that's the thing that I I think is interesting is that you and I have this perspective that there's these levels. But yeah. if we go to our peers that are a little bit older than us, they're like, what are you talking about? It was everywhere. It was all over the place. You could do it yeah. every moment, whenever you wanted. There was no one yeah. busting you. I mean, you know, and I think it's that different uh, realm of it. And that's why I think yeah. even now, still, people that are older than us, they're like, we do this. They fun. embraced cannabis pretty rapidly. Oh, yeah, they didn't. Yeah, they were. They, yeah. they never unembraced it from what I could gather. <laughs> right. You know, um, <laughs> I, I knew people in Minnesota that I never thought would have done that. And I find out that. They come yeah, to find out every other day that you're doing it they had a staff you know and i was like wow i had no idea did you have to take yeah. a drug test for this job well yeah they said but then they just said well we just didn't do it for a few days yeah <laughs> skip it for two weeks you're good you know and since we didn't have random testing it was fine yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah i think it's just different on, on, a, on a generational uh context of, of drugs and drug usage and, and acceptance 
Yeah. One of the things that worries me a little bit, just as it did with cannabis, is the idea of not approaching it with respect and not approaching it with a little bit of ceremony. Again, not, you know, high ceremony with lots of chanting and stuff like that. Just the respect that, you know, like even now when I take cannabis, I, I take a moment quietly, maybe in my mind, maybe to say, thank you. I, I'm here and I am happy to be here and thank you mm. to the plant, you know, to spirit for the, the fact that I can do this. And I see more and more people approaching cannabis like a Coca-Cola. You just take it and, you know, go on with your day and all of that. So it does become much more like a regular drug, like caffeine or tobacco or alcohol. And I don't want to see that happen with psychedelics either. I, right. I'm not very happy to see it happening with cannabis. I mean, I think people should be able to take it. I think you should be able to do it and do it as you desire. But I don't like it being, personally, I don't like it being treated like just a thing. It, it is a plant with spirit and it's a medicine. It is a medicine. Alcohol is actually a medicine. So is tobacco. I don't like the way either of those are treated either. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, yeah, def definitely. I mean, they they move beyond their their ritualistic uses, their ceremonial uses. Yeah, you know, I mean, I could argue that going to beer thirty is a ceremony. <laughs> but, for for those who don't know, Beer Thirty was a weekly gathering of business associates yes, at a that local was pub pre-COVID. Um, yeah, uh, we keep hoping we'll get to go back, but I think that's yeah. another year. We got a, we got a ways to go before COVID's done. Still, I think. Yeah. So anyway, um, but yeah, I, I agree with you. And you know, even with marijuana consumption and or usage that that we've experienced in the last three four months. I don't know. It's um I don't I don't approach it with the that idea but I of ceremony, but I do approach it with a different level of commitment with it than mm -hmm. I do with alcohol. Like if I just have a beer, I just have a beer, I don't care, it's just a beer. Yeah, know? it becomes a thoughtless thing. Yeah, it's just a beer. And that's the part where I'm like, it shouldn't be thoughtless. You know. But well, I understand. You know. You know, well and to to be to be fair, I, I, mm -hmm. I do um if it's just it depends on the type of beer for me, right? Mm -hmm. If it's just a general lazy daisy IPA, I don't care. But if it's like some special stout that's been bourbon aged in a barrel and da 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 da, I savor it. I take my time with it. It's an amazing thing, mm -hmm. you know. And with cannabis, because of its effects, because I don't know how I'm going to end up with it, I don't know all this stuff, and I'm still not that experienced with it. Um, I have to like really like okay, I'm not driving after this. I'm not. Yeah. I have no plans to work tonight. I have no plans, to maybe even to work tomorrow for at least half a day because I don't know where I'm going to be at with this. You know, my experiences with it have been. I've had a couple really good positive ones, and I've a couple that are like not eh, so positive. It's not really <laughs> worth it. You know. Yeah. Um, so I'm trying to give it that space it desires, and not making it a uh, everyday occurrence. Yeah. Um, you know, and we know people in our lives that it's, you know, where I used to go into the, not used to, but, you know, I used to go to the fridge and grab a beer after work. That's just an everyday thing. Mm -hmm. We have friends that that's an everyday thing for them. Yeah. They go, cannabis you know, is just they a go daily thing. A couple of smokes, a couple of puffs when they get home from work and they're high in that, that kind of in heightened yeah. high state for hours. They just stay there. They don't, yeah. you know, every time it kind of comes down a little bit, they, they go back, they go and, back. and refresh a little bit. Yeah. And I mean, 
I kind of feel like even that kind of use isn't necessarily a bad thing as long as there's humility and intention, care, thanks, you know, gratitude. Well, those sure. Those things. Those are but, the parts that are, to me, that seem like that's the part that's really important. It isn't about making a great big ceremony of it. And But I think with psilocybin, because if I, if I treat beer one way, alcohol one way, and I treat marijuana that way with a higher level of respect, I, I feel like if it was psilocybin, it would be this this once a year thing or once a, you know, where it's a real special moment. It's like, oh, let me, you know, I got to be in a right. really good headspace for it and really want to give it the, the time and frame it needs and not just become, oh, I had a couple drops of mushrooms on the way home uh, after work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. I don't want that. And I, and I, and I guess there's part of me that fears what I could reveal what you to might myself. See. Yeah. You know, yeah. I've heard enough stories and I've seen enough things from movies that would illustrate what it might be like and kind of scary. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I like Beth's approach. I like the fact that she talks about the difference and knowing the difference between when you're in ceremony and when you're not. Yeah, that's true. And I, what I saw, what, what it sounded like from her was that she takes mushrooms in ceremony and she takes mushrooms not in ceremony, you know, right. and Maybe that is actually okay, and maybe it's okay to do with that with cannabis and with tobacco and with alcohol. I don't know. I, mean, I really don't know. But I do know that for the most part, I tend to feel like it's important for us as a species to remember to be respectful because we've forgotten and we've left behind general respect for all the other beings and creatures and and forms of life that there are on this planet right we are not the only ones not even close to the only ones and there's so many that live right amongst us and we're not respectful so that's where i think for me the whole idea that we should all be a little just taking a moment to think about what we're doing be mindful of the beer you're drinking i mean that that's yeasties that created that mm -hmm. you know that that's special you know that isn't something that just you could be walking along and just pick it up and look, here's an apple, here's a beer. No. You know, it, it doesn't work that way. You really have to ask for alcohol to be created. Yeah. You're and, right. It's a process you know, to get there. And mm. sure, the, you know, mushrooms, you can be walking around, look, here's some psychedelic mushrooms, let's enjoy that. You know, sure, that can, that can just happen. But it seems to me that we would be wise as a species to say, hey, thank you. Thank right. you for this. Right. It's an opportunity. That's true. Yeah. It's true. So it was delightful talking with that anyway. I, mm -hmm. I, I'll admit that I'm much more interested in the idea of, of trying psilocybins out and, and exploring that realm. I am too. Um, and I don't know if you'll do it one time and I'll watch to make sure you're okay. Or, <laughs> right. And, and I'll do it and you watch and okay. Or we do it or together. Or we'll do a retreat center or something. Yeah. yeah. Or we have, we, you know, um, but I don't, right now I, I don't, that's not something I'm going to bring into the house. Yet. I'm not yet. Um, I mean, we I have do. An, we have an impressionist, impression, not impressionist, impressionable young man. Impressionable young us. man who is already interested in that stuff. And I don't want to say since we use it as a pass for him to. Right. Yeah. So I don't yeah. Want to do that yet. Yes. Um, so maybe we have to wait till he leaves the house. <laughs> yeah. Will he ever? 
I do find that as the responsibilities of direct parenting and being a caregiver for our son have been lifted because he's technically an adult and he's getting his own job and, you know, he's, he's becoming adult and starting to move like an adult and manage his own business on his own. Yeah. I still have to be a parent to some extent, but it's just not the same. And that has been opening me up to being, feeling more comfortable with letting go of old constructs and being willing and interested in exploring where I could go, you know, how we can, how I can open my own psyche up a little bit further. You know, I had an idea of what it is to be a mom and that was what kept me sane for, you know, 18 years Hmm. (laughs) while I was parenting. Right. And now I can let that go because I don't have to parent in the same way anymore. Yeah. That's true. So it should be a very interesting decade ahead for us. Hmm. For lots of people. And not just because of the psilocybins, right, Patrick? Well, I think Candace is alluding to the fact that we've got something big coming. Something real big. Because, you know, we can never just do one thing. No. Um, so we are going to launch the realherbmarket.com. And we are looking for, and we only have openings for 25 vendors to be able to be on our herb market. And what for we're our, doing. Yeah, for our founding for vendors. For our founding members for our herb market. And what we're doing is we're uh, giving the opportunity for small uh, independent herbalists to sell their products to a national audience. So if you're familiar with Etsy, a marketplace is like Etsy. So, or Etsy is like any marketplace. We're going to bring a lot of different vendors together and they're going to be able to sell the products directly to you. But what makes us different or our marketplace different is we will actually know, like, and trust our vendors. We're going to talk with them. We're going to interview them. We're going to see what their products are. And once we give them the stamp of approval, if you will, then they'll be able to sell in the store. And if you're a vendor, you're basically going to have a shop that's going to be promoted with the full backbone of support of the practical herbalist and yeah. Real Herbalism Radio. And I know from talking to some of the small shops that I've worked with for marketing, they're so excited because they've yeah. set up their own little shops online and they they, they get zero sales. They, they're they really excited little, at the beginning, yeah. but they get nothing out of it because they have no marketing backbone. They have no way to promote. Yeah. Yeah. So this is what we're going to be doing. This is really big. It's going to launch this spring. We have 25 members. Um, so if you really want to become a member, and we really encourage you to do it to get your awesome herbal products to the to the open market, and not have to pay Etsy rates, go ahead and uh, visit us at therealherbmarket.com, and there'll be a, a, a small informational page there, and then a form you can fill out to submit, and we'll get them. And there's only 25 seats. Yep. And for those of you who are not potentially vendors but are interested in getting to know really good herbalists, like. You know, instead of actually making the tea, buy some, buy the tea blend, which honestly makes life a lot less stressful at times. Oh, absolutely. Or buy that salve. You're going to want to watch the realherbmarket.com because we'll be building a really wonderful collection of herbalists and herbal products that we've vetted essentially. Right. I mean, we won't be vetting every individual product, but we will be making sure that all of our vendors really do know what they're doing. There's nothing more frustrating I've found 
than going to a site, a marketplace site, whatever it may be, buying a product, getting the product and realizing that it was not made well because the person that's selling it isn't an herbalist, doesn't really know what they're doing or they're maybe they were an herbalist, but they have gotten so big that they're not making it themselves anymore. They're having some manufacturing plant do it. Yeah. And and that, yeah, that'd be, sometimes that's the goal that people want to get to, you know, with, with COVID, of course, the multiple ways um, these small vendors were getting their items out to market was, you know, farmer's markets, yep. uh, putting them, putting their product in stores. So when, uh, at the store counter, you'd walk up and then you say, oh, there it is. And then, of course, uh, selling in person, then, of course, online. Well, market, um, farmer's markets aren't happening barely at all anymore. Right. Open houses, open houses closed, are done. the you, bazaars, you all yeah, the in-person all that shopping is done. Is done. Yeah. And the only way you're really going to get out there is by doing it online. And the only way you can compete in, a, in an online marketplace like we have is to come to a place where we already have the traffic coming. Yeah. And yeah. that's what we're offering is that ability to have that traffic yeah. coming. And, you know, for the cost of what we're, we're looking at doing, I mean, setting up your own store, which is essentially what we're going to allow you to do, setting up your own store on yourself can cost a couple hundred dollars just to start out. Yeah, or more. And we can help you with all the things that you'll need to know. Yeah. Like I was just working with a vendor the other day about it. Yeah. You yeah. Know? I'm I'm excited to see the list of vendors that we're working with growing. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to be able to offer to customers, to our listeners, to our readers, products that we know are good yep. and that are practical. I mean, you know, the practical herbalist is all about being practical and, you know, knowing what you're doing. So, so if you want to become a vendor, go to therealherbmarket.com, fill out the form, and get the ball rolling. And again, only 25 spots. Yep. So with that, put, put an herb, herb on it. it. The statements made about herbs and products on this podcast have not been evaluated by the United States Food and Drug Administration, FDA, and are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. All information provided on this podcast or any affiliated websites is for informational purposes only and is not intended as a substitute for advice from your physician or other healthcare professional. You should not use the information on this podcast and its affiliated websites for a diagnosis or treatment of any health problem. Always consult with a healthcare professional before starting any new vitamins, supplements, diet, or exercise program before taking any medication, or if you have or suspect you might have a health problem. Any testimonials, questions, or case studies are based on individual results and do not constitute a guarantee that you will achieve the same results.